Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, bringing you part two of our recent PRX Podcast Garage live show. If you haven't listened to part one, go listen to that first or this isn't going to make that much sense. Uh, It's called When You Share Your Pain. It ran last week. On it, you'll get to know Bernadine Truth, podcaster and educator, who you will definitely hear more from later in this episode. Both of these episodes and the entire live show concerned itself with talking about alternative ways of talking about sexual violence that don't require survivors to just tell their sad stories over and over again and specifically exploring the sort of possibilities and pitfalls of focusing on perpetrators. So this episode kicks off with a conversation with the amazing filmmaker Nancy Schwartzman, whose film Roll Red Roll is now out on Netflix. Uh, Content warning about that. You're about to hear the trailer for that and a discussion about it. And it is about a specific rape case in a town called Steubenville, Ohio, and there are some conversations about rape. So um, we're going to kick off by, with the audio trailer for that, and then you're going to hear me bring Nancy in in the middle of the live show. Hope you enjoy. Growing up here was awesome. Football and all that in sports, like it's like a brotherhood, like a fraternity you can never get out of. News Radio 1170. I'm working on a story out of Steubenville that is very, very disturbing. It was early morning. Jane Doe, the victim, started getting text messages and chats. Picture was actually sent by a friend who said, I think this is you. The parents made a report of a sexual assault. We had photos. We had 400,000 text messages. This was a sexual assault with teenagers, and the cell phones told the story. What are we going to find on your phone? You will find the picture, her laying on the couch. There definitely were moments. And what is she doing? Where you had hoped for some kind of a hero. I wouldn't say she was completely passed out, but she wasn't in any state to make a decision for herself. Everybody was asking questions. Did adults know that something happened and not report it? I'd run into people in the store, and right away they would be blaming the victim, blaming the victim. Is this football town putting its daughters at risk by protecting its sons in a situation like this? I've been blogging for a long time, usually about true crime cases. I thought that town is so entrenched in their football team. This is big news. I went to the high school's website 
pulled the roster of all the players and I started searching for any social media that they may have had online. Song of the night, Rape Me. Some people deserve to be peed on. And it was at that point that I decided to post what was out there. Greetings, citizens of the world. We are anonymous. This is a call to arms. Over the weekend, more than 1,000 showed up outside the county courthouse. Welcome to Steubenville. If you've been assaulted, speak up. It is not your fault. We're here for you. My name's Angela, and I was born and raised right here in Steubenville. My name's Alicia. I'm a citizen of Steubenville. And at here. the age of 14, I was raped by a star football player. I was raped when I was 11. When I was 15, I was raped when I was in my mid-20s. I admired this girl because she had enough guts Go press charges. And we need to be there with her when she's in court. This is for Jane Doe. Nancy Schwartzman, welcome to Unscrewed. Hi. Yeah, you can clap for Thank her. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I know your time is limited, so I'm going to dive in. I also should tell you, this is like the third time I've insert, interviewed Nancy about this film because I'm obsessed with it. So, Nancy, I hope you'll forgive me if I open with the same question that I ask all the time. No, but I just want to say it's been such a pleasure to hear you both speak. And it's so lighthearted and also deep and intense. And it's just really amazing to be in dialogue, even if virtually with such brilliant thinkers. So it's been really nice just to sit here quietly on mute listening to you guys. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you're unmuted. Can you start just by setting the stage about Roll Red Roll, which we've talked about. You shot like a th thriller, a true crime horror story, and you specifically focused on the story of the perpetrators and the enablers and the culture and not at all on the victim who does not appear in the film in any way. And can you talk about why you decided to tell this story in this way? Yeah, well, this film is about the Steubenville, Ohio rape case, which happened in 2012. And it was sort of the first rape case to go viral. It was this intersection of social media and rape culture, and it exploded. So I've always been tracking sexuality, consent, youth culture, and its intersections with tech. So this case just kind of had all of these really fascinating and really troubling dimensions. For me, you know, Jacqueline, we've spoken about this. I'm a rape survivor also. My first film, I really related to your beautiful uh, podcast segment about having conversations with people that you love or you care about who like totally don't get it and wound you and harm you in their lack of understanding. And I'd sort of worked through that with my first film, The Line, that came out in 2009. And I interviewed the man who sexually assaulted me in the film with a hidden camera. Because in a way I was doing this whole like trying to understand what happened by talking to everyone, looking at the culture and the context and questioning my own behavior. I was 24. And then I realized all roads lead to the rapist. I can get cultural questions answered or we can speculate, but really when I want to know why this happened to me, I need to ask the person who did it. So from really a, an early time and looking at this topic, I was always most interested in like the people who choose to enact the violence. And then in Steubenville, in a much bigger picture, the community that enables it. And the crime is a gang rape of a girl. There were multiple people in the room. People had been talking about it before it happened. Nobody stopped it. Nobody intervened. 
And it really, because so much of it was on social media, there was evidence and it was like breadcrumbs. I mean, you could see this thing unfolding. It just seemed like such a perfect case study to like step back and really look at how this happens and how we as a community look away from it and then blame the victim afterwards. What's been most surprising to you? I mean, the, the films made the film festival circuit and we saw all the laurels you got in the, in the trailer. It's been on PBS, on POV. It's now on Netflix. So it's been in, you know, it's, it's been a, around a lot at this point. And I know you've traveled a lot with it. What has surprised you about the response to the way you told the story? What's been amazing, like I got a trickle of this when we went into theaters. I think festivals were awesome and communities all over from Arkansas to California and Ohio were engaging with the film, but those are kind of self-selecting film festival folks. Once we started getting reviews in the New York Times and Variety, the papers, and it was male reviewers, oh my gosh, reading their responses to the film, I was like, holy shit this movie is working, like men are getting it. Men are recognizing, oh wow, rape culture is actually my problem. Rape culture is actually, as a man, something I've witnessed, possibly laughed at, engaged in on some level tacitly because we're all raised in that kind of culture. I mean, I had reviewers making connections with Brett Kavanaugh, Spring Break, frat houses, none of that stuff is in this film. I wanted the film to be really a mirror to look at the larger culture and it seemed to be working. So. Most recently getting on Netflix was amazing. We just had no idea how that was gonna go. It's like, it's gonna pop up to the platform and maybe no one will watch it. Or maybe, I don't know how the algorithm is gonna push it. Right, there's like a shit ton of stuff on Netflix. <laughs> and it popped up eight days early. So I was like, none of my team was ready, right? We're just like, ah, oh, whatever. We're gonna promote on the 15th of August. It went up August 7th, right? And you're just like, holy shit, no one's, no one's ready for this. But what was amazing was that it ended up on the homepage of Reddit. And all these guys were talking about it and it drove like a ton of viewers to Netflix right away, I think. And then it started trending in crime. And then all these male friends of mine or uh, male identified dudes and athletes were like, yo, I just watched this movie. It got pushed to me in the sports category. So it started to like show up in people's like sports doc feeds, which is incredible. So, so what's really been great is the goal in making the film to get men to engage with this because women and or victims, this is not our work to do. Like we, we know these stories. We don't need to, we don't need to watch them. We certainly can march in the streets, but good God, aren't we all tired of that? You know, for me, it was really like passing the baton to where the work needs to go. And that's what I wanted the film to do. And it's, the way it's constructed, the pace of it, all of it, the energy seems to be speaking to the audience we wanted it to. So it's kind of amazing. So are you telling me that Reddit did something positive about rape culture? <laughs> I feel like I'm a weird like Reddit filmmaker um, because I made a, a short connected to this film about Anonymous and like it was a huge hit on Reddit. I'm like, oh. Weirdly, there's some people who yearn for the good old days of white hat activism and vigilante justice. So my film has bits of that. And yeah, I did an, I did an AMA and I only had one request to make someone a sandwich and the rest were all totally legitimate. We had like thousands of questions and they were all legitimate. People need a forum. I think we're in a good moment. Like, you know, I'm sure folks listening to this podcast, obviously Jacqueline and 
everyone working in the space of anti-violence, we've done a shit ton of work. Me too did a shit ton of work. Here we are. And I feel like a lot of new people want to engage and maybe they don't know how, or maybe they're just happy to chat about it on Reddit. But I think the openness to engagement is really remarkable right now. Wow. But I feel like you're selling yourself short. I feel like you understand something about how to tell this story and talk about this issue in a way that the the dudes of Reddit can hear. Yes. I mean, that was the point. And I also had an awesome young digital native dude producer with me to really get in there because I, again, like I don't need to make a rape film for victims. Yeah. We know this. We know this. We don't need to watch unbelievable. We don't need to watch the new thing about rape. Like this is not a first. Oh my God. Thank you. I keep feeling bad about not watching Unbelievable, but I like already read the Pope Publica story and I don't need more of it, even though I love Tony Collette. I love Tony Collette, but you know what? Go see Hustlers, like have some fun and watch like women take down the patriarchy for some cash. There was a strategy for sure about engaging, whether that's because it was in the true crime genre or because I have a really short attention span. The movie's 79 minutes long. Like I wanted to move quickly. I wanted a 17 year old boy who accidentally stumbled on it to sit through it, which is what's happening, you know? So yes, it was very intentional, but I also do feel like people are engaging. I just did a podcast for the nation about Antonio Brown right? And it's like, God forbid a woman wait, because it's so pleasant to come forward, right? And everyone's calling her a gold digger. And I appreciate that sports commentators are coming around to saying, huh, maybe we should actually bring some women who know what they're talking about onto our show to talk about this. I mean, it's like baby steps, but there does seem to be a progression in the culture a little bit, unless I'm being overly optimistic in the face of Brett Kavanaugh, et cetera, et cetera, Epstein. I mean, I think we're in a weird moment where we're making really big moves forward around rape Mm -hmm. culture and also in the middle of a horrible backlash at the same time. And I think that it's really disorienting. And so I find it actually refreshing to hear you focus on what's going well because we're like all mired in what's going horribly all day long. It's important to remember that both... Both motions are kind of happening at the same time, which is why we all feel, I don't know about you, but I feel like genuinely insane a lot of the time. (laughs) Actually, I was just texting a co-producer of the film and she's like, you seem really tireless on social media. Have you been getting any rest? And I was like, why do I seem scrambled? And I sent her all these like egg emojis, like (laughs) scramble, scramble. Yeah, no, it's insane. And we all have to like work to keep a balance and maybe it is my effort to look to the helpers, right? Like look for the helpers or look for the soft spot as a media maker where we can affect change. Being didactic is not the kind of filmmaker I want to be, although you better believe I have a strategy when I'm going in, right? If I have if it has to be soft, I'm there, you know, making the film as a witness and creating a container for people to tell me their truths. I'm not there to educate them. I'm not there to be horrified. I can be horrified in the car ride home by what people say, right? But I think there is a soft spot of shifting change. And I think when people can recognize themselves in a culture that is so unpleasant when it is laid bare, I mean, the goal also of Roll Red Roll was to have nobody walk out of that movie and say what happened there is okay or what happened there is not a big deal. Like if you're not horrified at the end of the film, you you might possibly be a sociopath I think there is space for change unfortunately the people in power are not our kinds of people right now 
but I'm going for that kind of soft gooey middle that we can move over a little bit or give space for them to have some changed hearts and minds possibly. Awesome. I'm going to, I know we only have a few more minutes with you, so I'm going to actually see before I ask you another question, if anyone here has a question for Nancy specifically, we'll take questions after Nancy goes, but she's got a, an end stop in a few minutes. Anyone want to ask Nancy a question? Hi, Nancy. I raised my hand just because I was like, I can't not say something about how amazing that film was and how amazing I felt after I watched it. And then hearing kind of a little bit of the behind the scenes, I'm just even more enthralled. So I guess my question for you is, between the time of the movie that you did, The Line, and 10 years later, you're getting Roll Red Roll, like out the door and it's a completely different strategy. Was there something that happened in between that and this that you could talk about that got you to this point of production? Thank you. Well, I'm so glad that, that you've seen the film and that it had an impact on you. You know, it's funny because the line was about my own experience, but I learned with that film because I put my rapist in it. And I also put Don McPherson, who does a lot of great feminist activism, who was sort of a counter. Don says in my film, we raise women to survive in a rape culture and we do nothing to talk to men about not raping. And that was like years ago. And that stands. So, I mean, it's like, here we are 10 years later and the world is finally maybe ready to acknowledge that. So what I learned by putting my rapist in my first film was it gave the man in my audience someone to look at in a film about rape if it was a woman, female victim or female identified victim. Usually if it's a film about rape, they're like, okay, I have to sit here and like have empathy for this victim who doesn't look like me. By putting a perpetrator in my first film, I had men be like, whoa, I do not want to be that guy. So it gave them something to identify with, right? So 10 years later, and it's your question so awesome because it's, I'm kind of putting the pieces together. You know, you can have an intellectual strategy of putting perpetrators in a film and bystanders in a film as a strategy. And then the way that works emotionally, I didn't predict it, right? And what it is, is holy shit, I've been in those rooms. Audience members have said this to me. I've overheard jokes like this. I've known guys like this. I've known stuff was going on in the room next door and didn't do anything. Like this is familiar to me. So I think there's just such a power in allowing, if there's a problem, allowing folks who are creating the problem to see how they're participating in it and not have it be finger pointy, but just have it be like, hey, does this look familiar? Do you engage in behavior like this? This is what it looks like. So, you know, 10 years ago when I was making the line, I had so many funders say to me, you know, it's great that you're making a film about your own rate, but like, I don't, I don't really know if it has an audience. I'm not really sure people, uh, will want to engage in it. I was like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? I had students, college students were my first kind of audience, like lining up at the door, telling me their stories of assault, telling me how this related to them or, you know, all of it. So it's like, if you're ahead of the curve because you sort of are in it and you know what's going on, you just have to keep pushing through. So that this next film was easier to make, although it almost leached all the strength out of my bones making it, but I, think culturally because of the work of so many activists we had sort of like what's that farming term where you tamp the soil or whatever or it's probably gardening i live in new york so um but anyway <laughs> what happens when you put things in the soil and prepare it to grow? 
that's sort of what happened. And Me Too happened, obviously, in Toronto. Burke had laid that path long ago. So anyway, I think audiences were a bit more ready. And I got lucky because while I was sort of ahead of the curve, the timing aligned in the making and release of the film. Nancy, thank you so much for making time for us tonight. We are definitely rooting for you to be in the conversation for Oscar season. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Is there anything else coming up that you're working on or anything else you want folks to know about? If you haven't seen it, it's there It's in 190 countries. So wherever you are, hopefully soon to be in China as well. So it's a billion people. Come find us. Engage with us on social media. We're looking for famous, influential, brilliant, wonderful people to push the film. We're looking for people who work with young people, coaches, athletes, youth advocates. I love what all those notes in the room talking about youth-led activism for sex ed. We're trying to like smash down those doors and get these conversations into schools. Obviously, we have no allies in the White House here. So it's small P policy, schools, school districts, PTA, all that stuff. Any connections or help or support anyone in the audience wants to give to get us out there even further to continue our social change mission. Oh, and we we should mention the action kit that you and I put together together. On RollRedRoll.com, I don't know what vertical it's on. RollRedRollFilm.com. RollRedRollFilm.com. I think under Take Action, is that the right section on the website? If you scroll down a little, I helped them develop an action kit for anybody who sees the film. If you're just an individual person and you want to get involved in, it's called a 10-day rape culture detox. And it's sort of 10 days of actions you can take just as an individual person with no particular connections or skills to undo rape culture. And it's pretty fucking awesome if I do say so myself. It was a great opportunity. I love doing it. Jacqueline wrote it, so it's extra awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's really smart. It's like concrete, concrete things you can do, and it's great for all ages, especially young people. You know, to dismantle rape culture in their in their day to day. So it's, it's awesome. Great thing if you're feeling helpless or like overwhelmed by the news cycle. Nancy, I know you have to go, so I'm gonna let you go. But thank you so much for being a fucking yes, brilliant thank badass. You. That was yeah. awesome. <laughs> Oh, bye. Bye. Ah, Nancy Schwartzman. Yeah. I can't recommend seeing the movie enough. Although also, if you're a survivor and you don't feel like you want to, also I absolve you of that. (laughs) Because that's what Nancy would do. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay. 
We're here now. Yes. What'd you think of Nancy? She's amazing. Isn't she um, amazing? No, truly. I didn't actually watch the the line, the one that she talked about when she interviewed her own perpetrator. I mean, and really? I mean, I'm sitting here like, hmm, can I talk to mine? But seriously, because I think that that's really deep and powerful to be able to be in that position to make that happen. And that's just, I don't know, I admire her for that. Yeah, I interviewed her for my Refinery29 column about Roll Red Roll, and I said, you know, the movie feels really powerful and empowering to me, but you had to sit and listen to these assholes for, like, months of your life in the editing bay, right? Like, and how did that back up on you? And she was, you know, she would talk about self-care and, you know, that stuff, but she also was like, honestly, it felt really powerful because I get to shape the story. Like, I get to tell the story, mm-hmm. and nothing feels more powerful than that. But I couldn't I couldn't do it. Interview my perpetrator? No. And that was, like, 25-some-odd years ago. I still, nope. Hard no. Not to interview them. I mean, I, but that's something that I'll, I'll be honest, like, I've explored quite some time, for quite some time, is, well, I mean, because when I... Um, when I was raped, I actually talked to the person and I told him, I said, listen, like, what happened? You raped me. And he was just like, what the fuck? Like, are you fucking saying that? Like, no, I absolutely did not do anything like that. I was just like, yes, you did. I was just like, you heard me say no. I pushed you off of me. I was crying. I didn't engage. I was not there. Like, I, I was like, these are all the signs. Like, these were, this was everything. And I think he was just more like, absolutely not. And just like yelled so much on the phone. It was so aggressive that I also then retreated. And I was just like, okay, well, if he's denying it and if he's not recognizing it, I'm definitely not talking about it because, you know, but I tried. And so I think about that all the time too. Like, would I, what would I say to him if I were to see him now? And then I think about my adolescence and, and what, it would take for me to engage with my family that way. So we talk about not being believed. And I remember my grandmother, when I was younger, she came up to me and she was just like, you know what, Bernadine, it's okay. I believe you. Um, no, she didn't say I believe you. She's like, I forgive you. And I was just like, you forgive me? And she was like, yeah, because you're a teenager and teenagers need attention. And this is just like what we're doing right now. Whoa. And this was our phase. And I was like, what? And this is a grandmother that I, I love very, very much. And so, you know, I think, again, when we talked about culture, when we unpack these conversations or when we acknowledge and address these conversations there's so many layers that we need to be able to tap into to be able to engage because culture plays a different plays a role right resources plays a role who's sharing the story plays a role who's coming in when I was an adolescent talking about molestation I had a white teacher who was a mentor of mine put me in a hospital for attempting to commit suicide had my mother come into the hospital my mother then called my family was like I'm in the hospital with Bernadine and this is what she said and then everyone in the back was like what no way no way like absolutely not and my mother and I had I was I was a minor so um we had a social worker come to the house right and the case was open for an investigation and I remember my mother pacing back and forth past the living room to make sure I'm not saying anything and when I was visited in the hospital the one time she visited me she said look what you did to the family do what you need to do to fix it and so again and that was through molestation in my family right so like when you think about rape and so when I hear people fast forward now and the Me Too movement that's amazing and you know, the work of these documentaries, it's amazing, but there's so much for some people that they have to unpack to even get to that point to say, like, this happened to me, to even accept it for ourselves, 
let alone put ourselves out there to say, I need help to get through this and then become parents through this and then become partners through this and be colleagues through this. And Me Too started in a work environment. So then when you're re-traumatized and you're stuck and you're frozen, I mean, being frozen is a real thing. Like when you're in these moments and you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you don't know how to operate. And then people are saying, well, you wanted it because of what you wore, the time you were there or what the person looked like or you, but you know their ways, like right, different reasons of justifying how like that could not be reality because like how dare you not have common sense also or something. in terms of like not getting there yet like I also just want to say like nobody has to get there ever like everybody can define healing how they want and not every survivor needs to like make a documentary or a podcast or, or become an activist I think that one of the downsides of seeing telling our stories as activism can sometimes translate into like we have to stand up and tell our stories whether we want to or not mm. if we want things to change and and it becomes this burden on survivors that like nobody asked to be a survivor so like you owe nobody nothing like right. you can just like do whatever you need for your damn self right. and the rest of it is not your obligation or you have to have a particular persona when you share it right yes. so but you're not crying you're not emotional you're not broken every time you say it. like so that can't be you real be or that's credible. not it's not sincere you and it's like no do you know that i'm working through it legendary or story it which was not mm-hmm. actually about sexual violence about the woman who's in australia who said a dingo ate her baby mm. do you know this story mm-hmm. so the real true story i don't know how many of you, you've heard we all hear this sort of dingo ate baby, baby yeah. joke right yep the real true story is like a dingo ate her baby but she didn't perform grief the way she was expected to and everyone thought she was making it up and they decided that like they set it up or there was some satanic ritual. It was like this whole, and like later, years later, they found like a cave where some dingoes had lived with like the baby clothes in it. And literally they pilloried this woman. They sent her to jail. It broke up her marriage because liter- she did not perform grief the way a woman is supposed to perform grief. And it's the same fucking thing. Like we're expected to perform in a particular way right. to be credible, which is one of the things I find liberating about thinking of other ways of telling stories about mm-hmm. sexual violence outside of just talking about survivor stories over and over again. Absolutely. Can we take some questions? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Who's got questions? Sorry if I'm a um, Mike Hogg. I'm just so happy that you guys came here and were willing to take your time out to talk about these things. And I think for me, as a person who has been in a family of an abuser but was not abused myself, but was traumatized and constantly battling with the gooey middle that Nancy talks about, which is how you can have these conversations with people that don't either understand because of their life experience or aren't willing because they're on a spectrum of understanding and empathy and compassion where they're really itty bitty on that spectrum and they have a long way to grow. In situations like tonight where you put it out there and there's only so many brave, strong enough people to come actually do the work of thinking about it and talking about it and and you know that it's a little bit of a downer, how do you kind of keep going when it's so challenging because we're inundated with it in news and in social media and in our lives with the people that we're surrounded in that haven't like evolved or been enlightened enough to know how how challenging the work is to get dudes on Reddit to even think, let alone the people that you love and the people that you share your time and space and energy with. So how do you how do you keep going 
And how do you feel about, I mean, you did that great kit of like, here's how you can do it. But like, what about the people that still have the energy? Like, give us more things to do for the people that are sitting in this room and have the energy to do it. Like, how do you keep going and how do we keep going? Helping a person who is a survivor to really explain and process and take the time to understand where they are and understanding what they need and providing the platform and the space for them to share that when they're ready. Because I think when you are not a survivor of these realities, right, as people, we have expectations or we, you know, I want to help you. Like, I told you I'm going to be there, so, like, why aren't you using me, right? Like, I hear you, but I need to be ready to come to you to then ask you for that support. And I need to know that no matter when that is, you will be there, right, period. Now, whether or not I come is up to me, but, like, I just need to know that you're going to be there. On the other side, as far as actively doing that work, in the interview, she was like, you know, we're, we're past the days of protesting, right? So, like, if you want to go to a protest on a march, though, you can do that. If you want to post something on social media, do that. If you want to read a book, you know, share an article, ask somebody, support, like, show, show up to other events and, like, support other people. I think really where we can address rape culture, where we can address these conversations around sexual assault and trauma and destigmatize this realm of discomfort in having these conversations is by having these conversations. And I love when, when ja Jacqueline's effort as far as like in question about other ways though, like it's not just always about these monologues and this story sharing. Let's vision board, right? Like do other things that still fuel into souls. And so I would say recognize and be sensitive to a survivor, recognize and be sensitive to the fact that you want to be an ally and a supporter, but understand that the nuances of what that looks like daily, even hourly can look different and be open to understanding what that is. I would say for me, how I keep going is not having a binary relationship to keeping going. So like keeping going does not look like the same thing to me every day or every week, every month, every year, right? Sometimes keeping going is like, I am alive. I am marking myself present. Um, <laughs> and sometimes keeping going is like, speaking of Facebook, launching an activist campaign to force Facebook to change their policy about how they treat content that promotes violence against women and succeeding, which is the thing I did. Those are the polls, right? But there's like a lot of internship in between. Not imagining that keeping going as a, an anti-violence activist is a steady state. Sometimes it's going to bed and crying is how I'm keeping going. <laughs> and so making space for it not to feel contiguous and not to feel always sustainable. In terms of what anybody can do, my activist advice in general falls into two buckets. The first is like on a strategic level, figure out what it is that you think that you can influence and then define it down until it's a small enough bite that you think you can do it, right? So maybe what you really want is to change the way sex ed is taught in America, which is what I really want, which is why I'm using that as an example. But maybe you feel like, well, how the fuck do I do that, right? Well, maybe you can't just do that, but you can find out what's being taught in your school district and go to a school board meeting and bring it up. Figure out which tranche of this, you know, within rape culture, like you, you feel drawn to and then define it down small enough to that it feels like a thing you can do. So that's some like really concrete advice that I have. And the other is coming from the other angle, which is, figure out what it is that you love to do and figure out how to give that to the cause, right? So maybe you are really talented with computers. I promise you Bark would like you as a volunteer. I, <laughs> maybe you want to hold up 
bake sale because you like to bake, right? Like maybe you're really good at talking to people and you just want to have one-on-one conversations with people. Like literally whatever you have to give, whatever feels energetically good to you to put out into the world, you can put out into the world in service of a cause you care about. There are so many different ways to plug in. This, again, is not specifically about sexual violence. I've been really involved this summer with Never Again Action, uh, Jews Against ICE act- activism. And the, the thing that people know about me this summer, if you follow me, is that I got arrested with them, which I did, and it was a whole experience, and I'm happy to talk about it. But also, people, what people don't know is, like, on the last action, my job was to schlep the sound system and the chairs for the people with accessibility needs. And that was just as important to that action as getting arrested. Other people got, got signed up to get arrested at that one. Somebody needed to carry the sound system so that they could be heard. And in another moment, I hooked food for an organizer meeting for them. You know, in another moment, I helped people place op-eds, right? Like that there's so much happening behind the scenes of anything, any sort of activism you see, you're always seeing like literally the tip of the iceberg. And whatever it is you have to offer, the movement needs you. And you don't have to be a front-facing hero to be an actual hero. And then the last thing I'll say about that is my personal touchstone for all activism, especially when I feel overwhelmed and like not enough or like it's endless, is uh, learning from the Talmud that I was raised with in, in my Jewish community, which is, it is not yours to complete the work, but neither is it yours to desist from it, right? So don't imagine that like you have to fix the whole thing and don't let the fact that you can't fix the whole thing stop you from doing anything. I think sometimes about laying a brick in the path to freedom, right? Like when I feel like I've done something significant, I feel like I just put down a brick. And lots of other people are putting down bricks, right? And they make their bricks out of other things than I do. And none of it is going to be like that heroic moment. And most of us are not going to make documentary films that are going to be on Netflix, right? Like I certainly could never do what Nancy does. And I know that there are people who look at me and think like, wow, I could never do what she does. And probably Bernadine has, but like that's because you should do what you do. We probably have time for another question. I just want to say thank you to you both for just showing up. And I was struck by something that Nancy said about not sure knowing why at this moment people, and particularly men or sports culture, are actually listening. But I, I know that answer, and it's because people like you guys are showing up and people are raising their voices, and anybody who writes Me Too or tells a friend or whatever, it speaks those voices are the ones who take all the risks, who get all the negative comments, who deal with all the shit. But at the end of the day, when all the comments go away, the time goes away, the voice was spoken and that lingers. And I think that that is creating change. So I wanna thank you both for being part of that. Thank you for being here. Yeah, as well, thank Thank you. you. I want to thank Bernadine Truth for bringing the truth tonight. Thank you so much. And I want to thank PRX's Podcast Garage and Palace so much for hosting us. What a great event. And I want to thank all of you for coming out on a Thursday night when you had one million options, including going home. (laughs) Uh (laughs) No, I want to say, Jacqueline, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on your first live podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me be part of it. This was great. Unscrewed is awesome. And I got to make sure my podcast follows and like really supports. This is awesome. Seriously, thank you so much for having me and for creating another platform to have these kinds of conversations. Because to your comment, right, like we need to have these conversations. And then after we're done, follow up with action. 
And it's like, how are we holding each other accountable? What does it look like? And when are we saying, hey, that's not okay? And when are we saying that's a messed up text message? And when are we saying that's a terrible post? Or when are we saying that's not funny, right? Even if it's to our own partners and our own friends or our own children. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So thank you all so much for coming tonight. I wish you all safe and happy sex lives. And thank you all for listening. And also, thank you for your patience this week. I'm sure you can tell my voice is not what it usually sounds like. I've been very sick. And so I've been waiting till I had some kind of voice to speak with to record the intro and outro for this episode. And here we are. You can and should catch Roll Red Roll on Netflix. You can also find screenings and ways to bring it to your community at rollredrollfilm.com as well as that action kit that I developed with them that we talked about. You can find Bernadine Truth at BernadineTruth.com. She is also one of the trio that hosts the Urban Collective show and she is speak.your.truths on Instagram and is a great follow there. And of course you can follow me everywhere on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F. J-A-C-L-Y-N-F and on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable on my website at JacquelineFriedman.com F-R-I-E-D-M M-A-N. You can also, if you loved this show, if you found this to be the kind of conversation you're not getting anywhere else, you can show your support a number of ways. One, by kicking in a few bucks a month and joining Unscrewed Nation on Patreon. Just look up my name, Jacqueline Friedman, on Patreon and you will find us. Two, by rating and review this show wherever you listen to it. That really helps people find the show. And three is just tell your friends, however they listen to you, speak up about really liking the show. I love it when I see that happening. Unscrewed is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman, and edited by the fantastic Natalia Rodriguez. Our in and out music is by the Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna. Until next week, I am indeed wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.